Welcome to Strung Out. This is uh, episode 10. 10 episodes so far, and uh, I'm Marty McCormick. Richard Friedman has been involved in the arts for many decades as a poet, theater producer, and administrator. In the before times, I like how you said that, he was a general manager at the Theater at the Center in Munster, Indiana. Based on the north side of Chicago, he's an anti-fascist, trying his best to resist the current tilt toward totalitarianism. He has published two volumes of poetry and formerly ran the Yellow Press, an independent publishing collective and presenter of a writer's reading series. I did a little research on that. I saw that it ran from 72 to 92, roughly. Reading series was six years at the old Body Politic Theater, which is now called The Greenhouse. And Monday nights, there wasn't much going on in theater. You know, no one does a show on Monday night. So there was this guy who ran the body politic complex named Jim Shiflett. And he just wanted all arts activities. There was a mural group there. There were dream theater. There were dance companies, everybody. So we said, we had an introduction and said, hey, we'll do poetry readings on Monday nights. He said, sure. It was uh, great fun. And we had a poetry publishing collective. We put out a bunch of magazines. Our magazine was called The Milk Quarterly. We hated academics. We hated formality. So we wanted to make fun of it. And Yellow Press, you know, was the, um, the equivalent of, uh, well, whatever right-wing publications you read today. The Yellow Press was beating the drums for war. So we wanted to make fun of that because it's a beautiful color anyway. So we called ourselves the Yellow Press. So we weren't really a political press, more literary. So we combined the magazine. Then we went into book publishing. We did about 15 books by individual writers. We did some anthologies. One was called 15 Chicago Poets, which had Gwendolyn Brooks. We had, our mentor was a guy named Ted Berrigan, not the radical priest, but a great poet. So uh, then we started our reading series and did our books. And uh, there was a great uh, teacher at UIC who was a mentor of ours too called Paul Carroll. We ended up publishing a book by Ted Berrigan, his wife, Alice Notley. We did two of her books. Alice is internationally famous now. She lives in Paris and won many awards, but uh, just kept us going for a long time. And then finally we realized, well, some of, some of our gang had moved to New York. Uh, those of us who wanted houses and regular lives didn't. So you, you successfully ran that. When did you start getting then into the arts? And I want to make sure we have enough time to read your poetry and everything because this is a, a multifaceted human being that I have here today. Um, a lot of different hats he's worn over the years. But uh, tell me how you got into the arts in Chicago. I don't know really. After Kent State there were shutdowns of campuses. UIC was similar to a lot of others and they shut down campus and they started alternative universities. So I was reading, uh, saw the student newspaper and it said that there was a poetry collective meeting 10 minutes from the time I was reading it in a place where I was right there. University Hall, which was a big high-rise. So I said, ah, let's check it out. So I went in, met some people, and they became lifelong friends and partners. The pressure was on every week. You had to write a poem and bring it in and read it, and then get the slings and arrows. And then we ended up taking formal poetry classes in college and sitting in on Ted Berrigan's classes at Northeastern. And uh, we just had the urge not to just write it and leave it. We wanted to get it out there. So we started the press, the reading series, everything. And the thing about the reading series was we would get 
in my mind, the world's best poets who would come to Chicago. What we'd do is we'd usually get one of the campuses, ours or University of Chicago or Northeastern, to pay travel expenses and invite a writer to give a reading there. And then they'd do that, and there'd be whatever shows up at a college poetry reading for a daytime thing. And then at night, they'd read for us. So we'd get people like Allen Ginsberg and uh, Robert Bly and uh, just fantastic poets, not all of whom the public will know to this day. But uh, you want to hear about the craziest night? Sure. All right. Body Politic had a space of about 200 people could sit in on the first floor of the building. This is at uh, 2200 block of Lincoln Avenue, across from Sturch's Bar. Anyway, so I was introducing Robert Bly, who was, you know, at that time he was getting really well known for writing that book, Iron John, about men's survivalists and, and well, men's consciousness, sorry. And uh, somehow or other, we hooked up with him. Though his, his style of poetry was different from what we usually read, uh, did. You know, we were more beats, uh, a group called the New York School of Poets, but, and he was a little more formal. But, um, but we had a packed house, and I just introduced him. And someone walks up carrying a big book and says, Mr. Bly, Mr. Bly, will you sign my book? It was a biology book. And, Mr. Bly, you know, reading's about to start. You don't interrupt the reader. And opens up the book and puts a big cream pie in his face. It was, it was a group called the Chicago Surrealists, hardcore communists. You know, they hated anyone who was uh, an establishment figure, anyone who'd been published besides for them. And uh, so we had a group of friends, most of whom were from northeastern Illinois, called the Stone Wind Poets. And maybe we were on the air, between street poetry and formal poetry, we were, but they were more street uh, gutsy guys, and uh, they took no prisoners. So, so a fight broke out between the guy who put the, the pie in, in Robert Bly's face and the, the associates, the other Chicago surrealists, and uh, our guys won because, you know, they were tough. They weren't, they weren't wimpy poet types. They were poets, and they were good poets. But So anyway, and then the cops came, and it was a big hazard, and there's great surrealists. You know what their stand was? We were just walking down Lincoln Avenue, and these guys attacked us. <laughs> they forgot their high moral ground. Well, if you thought the 1970s uh, was all peace and love, there you go. Uh, you know, gangs of uh, poets. Um, that's, you know, that's great stuff. I'm talking to Richard Friedman here on Strung Out, Marty McCormack, and uh, we're going to have Richard pull out one of his poems. Uh, Richard is a poet. Uh, Richard's also an activist. Richard has also been deeply involved in the arts community of Chicago, and really we're going to try to cram into 20 minutes what really could be three hours worth of talking. Um, why don't you grab one of your poems? Well, I'm going to start with a short one, and then, you know, since our theater shut down because of the pandemic, um, this is called Unemployed. And unfortunately, I've had many times in my life where I could experience this. Unemployed. Dragging the river for bodies to apply for their jobs. Think about it. Boy, I, that's, a, that's the world's shortest poem, I think. This one is called Discipline. And uh, at the time, I was a heavy runner. And I won a contest. I've hardly won any contest. But this one, they put on the side of uh, CTA buses and trains. Run one mile every day in all weathers, and never twice in the same direction. Avoid running into lake. Write one poem every day, in all moods, in different styles. Avoid running into lake. 
There you go. Uh, you're listening to the poems of Richard Freeman, which um, almost have like a, a, a playfulness, a Shel Silverstein kind of a playfulness to them, um, I think, which is great and very Chicago in the sense that avoid running into the lake. And uh, we're going to take a little pause right here and play a song as we uh, start moving into uh, some of the COVID-related discussion. Uh, Again, you're listening to Strung Out, and the song we're going to play is Fear. You're going to hear the the beautiful clarinet sound of uh, another great Chicagoan, Paul Von Mertens, who arranges the music for the Brian Wilson Orchestra. So Fear on Strung Out. When I was a kid, it lived under my bed When I was older, it lived in my closet Nowadays it likes to live in my head There's just no way I can dodge it Fear is a friend and a foe Fear with me wherever I go, we know fear a foe but a friend, and it's gonna be with me to the end. I fear whenever there's something new that holds me back. If there's a change, it gets real mad. When I wanna leap, it attacks. How can something so good be so bad? Fear is a friend and a foe. Fear is with me wherever I go. We know fear, a foe but a friend, and it's gonna be with me.
All right, you're back on Strung Out. I'm Marty McCormack, and I have uh, a special guest, um, Richard Friedman. And uh, when I hear you and hear you talking, there's a certain generation of Chicago artists, poets, writers, and I see you kind of in with that, that kind of Chicago school, even though it's not a school. I mean, I think of Mark Smith of the Uptown Poetry Slam. There's a certain kind of... Um, uh, Toughness, I think. I think writing, composing, painting, acting, it's a political act. And I think that if you don't have a point of view, then you're just moving paint around on a canvas or words around on a page. A great um, Chilean poet, Nicanor Parra, wrote, the duty of the poet is to improve on the blank page. I doubt if it's possible. <laughs> Protests today are, um, of course, you know, we're Gandhi followers. We don't want anyone to get hurt. We don't want any property to get hurt. We just want to make a statement, and we want the collective consciousness to be raised. And it's hard now because I'm convinced, Marty, that what's going on is that the right-wingers and the Proud Boys and the Boogaloo Boys, whatever the hell, they see an opportunity to create violence because it makes the real cause look bad. So you look at what happened in Minnesota, and it's like the guy with the hammer breaking all the windows. That guy was a right-winger. They know it. He's been finally found out. But that's the problem. It's like it's a, it's chaos is an opportunity. And uh, Trump's advisor even said chaos is good for us. So this is this is trouble. I think back then it wasn't. We weren't thinking in those terms. We were thinking of if there's enough of us who believe in love, how can love not win? Well, a lot of ways love didn't win. Right. Well, it's live from the backyard here. We got uh, aptly uh, talking about stress and uh, chaos with the dog wailing in the back. But um, so you listen to strung out. We're going to listen to uh, some more poems by uh, activists, by poet, by uh, theater manager, um, many hats, many talents, all in uh, the service of the muse, I'd like to say. Richard Friedman. Thank you. Hi, Marty. Can I read them from my lap, or do you want to use the music stand? You can, uh, well, whatever you think. Okay, we'll do it. Oh, yeah, podcast will do that. Okay. Um, I don't write constantly. You know, in my youth I did, and I was worried about getting published and having books out and being in magazines. I don't, now I don't care. I just something happens that I think the world should have my comments on, I make my comments on. And, you know, you can put them on. I, you know, I joined Twitter a few months ago, and I'm all the way up to 806 followers. So I'm not, I'm not, not well-known, but things happen that just make me so mad I have to do something about it. So something that made me really sad was John Prine's death. I'd only, I, saw him, I saw him last year. Uh, I saw him in the old days at the Earl of Old Town, but I never got to meet him, even though Jim Post is one of my great friends, and he was there at the same time at the start of the Earl of Old Town movement. So anyway, so I wrote a poem that took in, he died of COVID. So it just, to me, it was like an outrage that a great artists, and there were some other great musicians who died too. Um, and continuing, you know, Toots Hibbert, I heard, just died from Toots and the Maytals. Once saw him at the Quiet Night. Uh, so, you know, so here's my poem. COVID-19 breakdown for John Prine. World of prison on lockdown. America's head screw ain't well maintained. Might not be human, certainly ain't humane. Stranger danger in the manger. An innocent bat and armored pangolin took us all on, brought great nations to their knees. 
Love from distance equals attempted connection. The art of touching out of business like all the restaurants in the sky. Don't cry for me, Susanna, as banjo players seek refuge in isolation wards and breathing machines plugged into the wrong zeitgeist. I dared to walk outside myself and peer intently in. Was there never any foundation willing to grant us wonders earned and stolen from troubadours of the new as marching boots threaten power? Awaken from gullible daydream, sisters. Brothers, it's past time to move. We can chant people in sigh revolt, but our heads must stay in the sucker's game until victory is declared by forces of grace, dressed in shimmering gowns stitched by elves and shamans. Songs survive and grow lyrics. Dig deeper every time we listen. Birds sing round the clock. Spheres make music on their own labels. I'll meet you in paradise at the OK Corral. Next poem is a reaction to what happened in Palm Beach uh, when they had the city council meeting about masks. And it was very controversial. And I thought about Edgar Allan Poe, who wrote a great story called The Mask of the Red Death. They made a movie of it with Vincent Price. There's a great plague in the land. And the rich people, led by a count, figure the only way to save themselves from this, you know, it just, your body liquefies, I think, from this particular plague, is to all go to his castle and lock all the doors, seal it so nothing can get in, and they're all safe, and they can have their debauchery and get drunk and, you know, drink absinthe. So uh, the Palm Beach story, the, which is a great movie, by the way, a comedy, or The Mask of the Red Death in homage to Edgar Allan Poe. You can't mask an evil soul and walk the earth unpunished. Breathing's just another word for one life left to lose. Underwear is not a Washington plot hatched by Sears to add zest to their annual catalog. Commando style is not a statement on American individualism to show those bankrupt capitalists. The last hockey goalie to wear without a, to play without a mask was named Andy Brown, not known for his pepsodent smile. History far better remembers Jacques Plante, who made the face mask de rigueur while stopping pucks for Lake Canadians. Jason Voorhees never took the podium at the Palm Beach City Council to rail against his need to keep the mystery alive. The devil's trip to Georgia, obscured by layers of corruption. If you follow his law, you just might get arrested, said the lady, whose next mask will be attached to a ventilator. Jim Carrey made The Mask, a cinematic tour de farce, and dons protective gear proudly while perusing the shelves at Trader Joe's. You've got the Paris Opera's Phantom, half of Shakespeare's plots, Darth Vader on the Death Star, and the Lone Ranger not looking presidential at all. And who couldn't recognize Don Diego behind the mask of Zorro? The story to tell is simple, even if you're in corona-spewing distance of Mar-a-Lago. Protect us from your viral madness. Save us from the orange lord of the manor. Keep the red death at bay. Wear your mask proudly, good people everywhere. Florida may be where crazy goes to retire, but please make the deities wait a few more years to look into your face and wonder how they made creatures so willing to doubt the planet's shape and convince themselves that up is down. Governments don't exist solely to disrupt your flow and make it harder to aim your guns at invading hordes of peaceful folk who might parade by your estate seeking justice. When the plague is passed at last, we can smile, kiss, and embrace as friends while shopping the urban bazaars unadorned to meet the artisans at farmers markets and renaissance fairs, sans fear with clear eyes and open hearts.
Okay, those of you listening to this podcast know that Mr. Martin McCormick, your host, is half of a duo called Switchback. And I just this morning, you know, maybe about 8.30 before I came over to this house here in Rogers Park, I said, Switchback doesn't have enough poetry about Switchback, right? Yeah, well, now there is. Switchback haikus. Now, please uh, remember, haikus should have five syllables in the first line, seven in the second, and five in the third. Okay, switchback. Think about the word switchback. Think about these guys, those of you who know them. Uh, Switchback haikus. Let me ask you, man, what was your previous state? Who are you right now? Timeless Irish tunes sung with some extra panache, a side of blarney. Hiking in mountains, be set to change course quickly. Grizzly bears may lurk. Here we go. I've done that. I've hiked in the mountains and always, I always wanted to see one. You know, I like that you want the dangerous thing to be there, but you'd be scared as hell if they actually showed up. I've seen them in the distance. Marty and Brian, it's an interstate marriage. Decades sans divorce. Their boron player flies all the way from Japan. Takeshi beats all. The secret power of the band has always been Marty's badass hair. Imperative imperative to love the art that has chosen you. Music trumps money. Best to dance today. No telling how your legs feel on another day. Switchback haikus. That's awesome. We're gonna. I love. Uh, I love the, the badass hair comment because uh, you know that is the trademark. You know, I I'm like the Bob. Uh, is it Bob Foss of uh, you know, we you know the the not the 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 painter. Oh, uh, Bob Ross. You know, you know <laughs> that that yeah, and that was actually a perm. And he, he wanted to get rid of that, you know, but he realized it was, you know, not that I want to get rid of my hair. I like my hair long, but uh, we're going to play another song and wrap up this episode. And uh, we've, we're going to have uh, uh, Richard for a twofer. Uh, the next episode, episode 11, we're going to also um, uh, bring him on uh, so we can address the arts and COVID. Um, but right now you're listening to a song that's called Ill Wind Blowing written also about the COVID. You're listening to Strung Out. It's all so wrong, it's pain we feel makes no sense at all. Swan song wasn't part of the deal, was no curtain call. Giving no choice, giving no stand, everything was sweet. Pay no attention, it's far away, it ain't coming to your street. The suffering we feel today brings us to our knees, a new wind is blowing, bringing the disease. Six feet away Soon we'll all feel the sting And be six feet in the clay All the sadness of this moment Puts them ill at ease And ill wind is blowing 
see the shining sea. things and uh, just say uh, uh, great having you on Richard and um, uh, next uh, episode we're going to talk uh, specifically about the arts and COVID and um, just uh, thank you so much for being on the show. So Thanks for having me. It's a beautiful place here and uh, what better to do on is you know it should be a national holiday since football starts today. So you know it's a good day to be celebrating Chicago and music and art and the need to change the damn world. I can't say anything better than that, and uh, except for that, what the Chilean poet said about the blank page of paper. I love that. All right, well, uh, you're listening to Strung Out, episode 10. Thanks for listening. As always, we invite your comments, your thoughts, and uh, please keep the arts going during these difficult times. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. <laughs>